think we've just experienced exactly where God wants us to end up before we leave here. I don't know what you came in here with. I don't. But please hear me when I say, if you, and you have to do it, will open up yourself and you, in your own mind and own accord, will open up your heart and make yourself vulnerable to God. Now, it's easier said than done. That's a difficult thing to do. We speak it and it just kind of falls void. But if you can really open yourself up and allow God to take control of what he already knows is going on, He is faithful to do exactly what needs to be done in your life. I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I feel the Holy Ghost in the house tonight. And God does not want you to leave here the same way you came. It's not his will. It is not his will. I believe it in the name of Jesus. I'm going to go about things a little differently tonight. I have text throughout my sermon, but I'm going to start a little differently. You're seated and can remain seated. But if you would preach with me, it would not only be much appreciated, but I believe that God is going to use you and I. But before I get started, I know we've spent a long time in prayer and worship, but would you pray with me one more time that you would be vulnerable to the Spirit of God and that I would be tentative to His voice and to His Spirit as well and that He would speak to us, not just to you, but to you and me. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, you have all power of heaven heaven and earth. You sit at the right hand of God. You sit at the right hand of power. And so we're asking, Lord, that you would help us to bring every thought into captivity, that you would set the captive free, that we would be able to focus, comprehend, and understand what it is you want for us here tonight in this service. I'm asking, God, that you would loose my mouth and my lips, that you would speak through me, Lord. And that it would not fall on deaf ears, but it would be received by the hearts of your people. And that when we, would re- when we receive it, we would apply it to our life. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said amen. amen. The 23rd chapter of the Bible's first book, Genesis, is a paradox. A 127-year-old lady has died and her 137-year-old husband is arranging for her proper burial. And from the eye of anthropology, it is nothing more than a business transaction worthy of perhaps just a single verse. However, the deceased is Sarah, and the mourning man is Abraham, Father Abraham, who is eager to find a burial site for his bride. I have to share with you tonight that there is much more here than meets the eye. To consider it more carefully in various translations is to find no fewer than five times the phrase that I may bury my dead out of my sight. A soldier entering Canaan, Abraham doesn't have a grave to lay his beloved Sarah, so he negotiates with the children of Heth who defer to him saying, you are a mighty prince among us, sir. And in the choice of our sepulchers, bury your dead. None of us shall withhold from you his sepulcher. But despite their generous offers, Abraham persists and he says, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, intrigue me, for me Ephron of Zophar, that he may give me the cave of Magpila at the end of the field." 
Now, if you will allow me, let us put this picture into a clearer perspective. Ishmael, Abraham's son by the bondwoman Hagar, is now 50 years old. Isaac, the son of the promise by Sarah, is now around 37 years of age. Now, Abraham is trying to bandage the ravishes of death. He is trying to bury his dead out of his sight. And so Ephron offers Magpilah for no charge, but Abraham says he does not want it for nothing. And so with the price of 400 shekels of silver, it is set and the deal is done. And now the patriarch Abraham has found a resting place for his beloved wife, Sarah. Imagine it with me. Abraham and Sarah have been married anywhere from 60 to 100 years roughly 2,200 years before Jesus Christ steps on the scene. And they loved no less than you or I. And their parting was not a small matter. Imagine how many miles they had traveled together, not in airplanes, not in motor vehicles, but on the backs of camels and on foot. Imagine what multitude of experiences they had shared through 60 to 100 years of being with one another. It was for Abraham the separation from his lifelong wife and friend. It was a reluctant parting from the one who, or from the one whom he indeed was one. Are you with me now? But it was even more than that. When he buried Sarah, Abraham buried a part of his past of which he was not too proud of. He buried the embarrassment of some past failures and some past mistakes. Not unlike any of us, there was a single fragile thread that was woven into the fabric of Abraham's life. In the distant past, desperate in his desire to survive, he had not once but twice forced Sarah to lie on his behalf. Sarah was to say that she was his sister and not his wife. First, the lie was told before Pharaoh in Egypt, and the second was before Abimelech. Those two lies represented two terrible episodes in his life. Now, indescribable disappointment decided by 30 years of time in his life. And it was at that time, in Abraham's frightened mind, that a necessary compromise had been made. I must say that before Abraham's legendary faith had come full circle, he did stagger. And so... Every time Abraham looks into Sarah's face and he gazes deep into his wife's eyes, he saw a dreadful deed that he had done looking back at him. He certainly wasn't proud of that part of his past, and justifiably so. It did not matter that she never mentioned it. Her eyes said more than her lips ever could. He could see her soul through those eyes. And those eyes were a constant reminder of the past that he was always trying hard to forget. And so here we are. Abraham desperately wanted to put his past out of sight. And this was his chance to bury Sarah at Magpilah. With every glance at her beautiful face, he saw the terror he had felt. And when the angel visited them... In the plains of memory, again and again, he relived his hour of doubt when his faith had failed. He went to Hagar, the bondwoman, and from the illicit union brought Ishmael into the world. Did Sarah ever mock him? I doubt it. There is no record that she ever did. But it was just the same. A major mistake he had and his wife must now live with. 
He failed and Sarah knew that Abraham had failed. No matter how much Abraham loved Sarah, the fact is, when Abraham buried his beloved Sarah, he buried the embarrassment of his past and the constant reminder of his sin. Out of sight, out of mind. He was and is known as the father of the faithful. If I can be frank, I believe that many of us know the sting of failure that Abraham knew so very well in his life. The faithful that are here today who have tasted the sweet nectar of success but swallowed the bitter pill of failure. We sit here in this house today. The faithful who have experienced defeat. Who have dreams that have died and long been forgotten. Who've desires that have gone unrealized. Who have had sicknesses that went uncured. Whose souls have remained unsaved. The failure of family and friends. Each and every one of us under the sound of my voice has felt it just like Abraham felt it. Those faithful, you and I, us collectively, finally resigned ourselves to it and we have accepted the unpleasant verdict. So we buried it. We buried it somewhere in our past, out of sight, out of mind. And now you and I have resolved to move on. I believe, and I feel it, that God wants to do something in this place tonight. Again, I'm not trying to turn a phrase, but I'm speaking out in faith, and I know that God is faithful. I am convinced in my spirit today that God has a message for us even now. Maybe it is disguised in the mundane details of some unfortunate incident. Reversal or failure or defeat in our lives. Maybe there was a larger issue that unfolded. Maybe something bigger was really going on that wasn't apparent to us then. And maybe, just maybe, the same Lord who was silent then is ready to speak now. Possibly the Savior who seemed absent then is very much present now. Present and ready to remember what we have chosen to forget. Ready to resurrect what we have chosen to bury. Ready to return to what we have already walked away from. Ready to resume a relationship with that thing that we felt was finished in our life. Are you with me here today? I'm preaching to you today. I am standing here to tell someone that God Almighty is present right now. What you have need of is in the room right now in this very moment. If you would begin to open up yourself, hear me when I talk to you now. Open up your heart to the spirit of the Lord that is in this place. God Almighty is going to do something on your behalf. That no man, woman, or child can do. The Lord has precedented. He has set aside this time for you and me. If I were to stand up here and nothing were to happen up to this point, I believe that God is faithful. But look what God has done already this very night. This word that I am doing my best to preach to you. I'm telling you tonight here, New Life. God has met us here. He is wanting to do something with you and through you. Hear me when I 
lift my voice to you tonight. God is desperate for an interaction with you. He is desperate to talk with you, to walk with you. But the greatest thing you could ever do is not just interact with him where you are right now, but when you leave this place and you get in your car and you drive wherever you're going to go, take him with you. Allow him to be in your vehicle with you. Allow him into your home. Allow him into your everyday life and watch God do something that no one else can do. He is here. He is here. I don't know what has happened in your past, but I understand that there are some things that you have wanted to bury out of your sight. But I believe that God is here today to open up what some of us have closed in our minds and to tell you that this very season you are going to come out of that situation and live like you have never lived before. I've got a word for you here tonight. There is power in your voice. There is power inside of you. There is power inside of your mouth. When the children of Israel were marching around the walls of Jericho, it was not the stomping of feet or the blowing of the trumpet that brought the walls down, but it was the shout. I'm here today to remind you that there is power inside of you. If you would just speak to your situation, God is going to act upon your faith and upon your testimony and it all starts with your voice it starts with the opening up of your mouth and pleading the blood over you and your family it starts with lifting your voice and letting the enemy know that you will not be silent the enemy may try to take everything from you but you have got to make up in your mind that he will not keep me quiet he's not going to take my praise He's not going to take my worship from me. The enemy will not keep me from speaking faith into every situation. I will not stop talking about Jesus and what he's done for me. You can't keep my testimony and the blessings that God has given to me out of my mouth. I've got to tell it. I've got to shout it. I must declare it. I've come to tell somebody tonight what God has already brought you through is the greatest weapon you could ever utilize in your life. The enemy wants you to think that he has control of you. But when you open up your mouth and you declare the name of Jesus, God is going to do something on your behalf. You just start reminding the enemy what God has already done for you. Say, hey, what I'm praying for right now may not have come to pass just yet, but I remember when God found me where nobody else could see me, and he brought me to where I am now. Come on, put your hands together if you believe it. You've got to help me here tonight. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're on our way. We're on our way. John 11 has a lifetime of lessons. Many of them are familiar to us. All and some of them are obvious. Some are subtle. Threaded through the simple lines of Lazarus's death, Martha's anger and accusation and Mary's angst, there is a larger, more transient truth. Hidden in the easily recognizable characters of this sad story, there is a compelling truth of the kingdom. Lazarus takes ill in Bethany and Jesus receives the word of his sickness, but he tarries two more days. And then finally he informs his disciples that Lazarus is dead and it is then that he moves towards Bethany. As Jesus approaches that sleepy little town, Martha rushes to meet him, accusing him with every breath. 
If you had been here, she says, my brother would not have died. Mary tarries back at the house, but Martha is angry with Jesus, but Mary is overwhelmed. Jesus then encounters Martha's claim with the promise that, I quote, your brother shall rise again. I know he shall rise, says Martha, in the resurrection of the last day. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me shall never die. Then Jesus asks Martha a very straightforward question. He looks at Martha and he says, do you believe that? And here's where we are. Do you believe what I'm saying? Does it go beyond what you see in front of you? Do you believe it? And for the first time in all of my study, I finally found that she never said, I believe in the resurrection that you are able to give. But she said, I believe that you are the Christ that should come into the world. And now Martha goes to get Mary who finally approaches Jesus and she falls at his feet and painfully she pleads her cause. If you had been here, she said, but it was a different spirit. By his response, he senses her spirit and in his own spirit, he groans and weeps with her and says, John eleven thirty five, where have you laid him? Now he could have gone on to say that your sister doesn't even know if I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha doesn't know if I can resurrect or not, but Jesus asked, where have you laid him? The question opened an entirely different chapter and took the discussion to a different door and a different arena. Jesus introduces a totally different prospect of living. Martha nor Mary had indicated any interest in leading the Lord to the place where they had laid him. For them, it was over. They had put him away. They had put him out of sight. They had wrapped him and buried him and sealed the tomb. They had resigned themselves to the void. They had resigned themselves to move on. Lazarus represented what they wanted to forget. He represented disappointment and defeat and failure and frustration. He was that unanswered prayer. And then there was a certain sense of betrayal that they had felt about it all. The sickness that went uncured. He was the life that was not saved. He was the need that wasn't met. And they had buried it with him. They had put a stone across the entrance of that great cave. They had indeed put it behind them, out of sight, and thus out of mind. And now, throughout their conversation with Jesus, neither of them had even hinted at the desire to go back where he was. Back to the place where they had buried their brother. Back to the place where they had buried the sorry chapter of their lives. But it is Jesus that is pressing the issue. Where have you laid him? I don't know if something just got a hold of me or if something got a hold of me in this word. But I want to ask you, where have you laid those, those unfulfilled promises? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I want to ask you, 
Where have you buried the unanswered prayer? Where have you put that thing that you thought was out of sight and out of mind? I'm here to declare to somebody tonight that there is a Savior stepping onto the scene. And He is saying, I am here. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Where have you buried it? Where have you hidden it from me? Just take me to where it is. Watch me perform the miraculous. Watch me restore and heal. Watch me make whole what has been broken and tarnished. Take me to where you've laid him. And that's where we are right now. Where we are right now is we find ourselves in life praying for something so fervently. We have a desire to serve the Lord. Hear me, young people. You have a desire and an angst to serve God, but you don't know how to channel it and what to do with it. And so days, weeks, and months pass. A few years go by, and all of a sudden you've forgotten that fire that was burning so bright inside of you. You've prayed for something so long and it hasn't happened in the time you think it should have. And so slowly we bury it and put it behind us. And now whenever the Lord shows up and you show up to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night, it's no longer about taking God where the issue is, but it's just asking God, help me, I don't know what to do. But God steps on the scene and says, if you'll take me to where you've buried it, if you'll take me back to where you've put what you've lost, I am the resurrection and the life. I've come to preach to somebody tonight. You've let things go in your life and they've since died. But I want you to know that you serve the God of the resurrection. If you'll take him to where you've hidden it, if you'll take him to where you've laid it, he'll rekindle that fire. He'll rekindle that prayer. He's going to answer it in his own time. But don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. Wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your life, you take him right to the point and say, God, I I've hidden it from you for so long, but I'm asking that you would do something. Roll away the stone. Call forth the dead because you are the resurrection. Come on, put your hands together right now. We have got to come into this house and tell the Lord that there are some places in my life that I want you to, that I want to take you to and I need you to resurrect them. I had given up on him long ago, but I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Breathe life into these dry bones and make them live again. Do what only you can do. So, next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and every day of the week in between, we have got to walk into this house and in your own life saying, God, I've got a place I want you to go in my life. There are some things that I've buried in my past that I want you to resurrect in me. Because I thought it would never come to pass, but this is the time I am taking you. I'm taking you right where they are right now. I've laid them down and since forgotten about them, but you're reminding me of what you desire from me and what you want from me and the life you want me to lead and where you want me to go. Notice, it's very interesting to me. I've read this same portion of Scripture Tons of times, but it seems like the Lord keeps opening up new doors for me. Once they rolled the stone away, notice, Jesus did what only he could do. We read that, we understand it. 
Now they see him in a new light. He's taken them to a new place. He's no longer just the healer of the sick, but he's the resurrector of the dead. And as Lazarus waddled out of that cave, bound by grave clothes, it interested me that Jesus commands them to unravel him. Please notice that Jesus had to command them to unravel Lazarus. I've got a word for somebody. I just feel it. God has done something so incredible for you in your life. It's something that is irrefutable. No man, woman, child, nothing could have done it. No doctor could have cured it. No medicine could have taken care of it. And you've gotten the victory, but some of us are still living all raveled up in grave clothes. I've got a word for somebody here tonight. It's time for you to unravel. You've been resurrected. God has breathed life into you. He's breathed life. He's breathed life into your children, into your finances, into your home, into your marriage. Some of us are here tonight and we should not be here. In fact, it's safe for me to say that nobody should be here. But I think it's time as apostolic Pentecostals, as people that have been called out from the void, that we start living our life with our grave clothes off. You've got to unravel yourself sometimes you need to live your life and say hey this is where I was but look where I am now God's resurrected some of us but we're still living bound I've got a word for you don't stray away from what God has done for you but that's your testimony and God's going to use it he's going to utilize it he's going to use it to reach everybody around you you better start unraveling yourself you better look at yourself in the mirror and say hey I've got to do something about this God's done too much for me for me to be quiet I've come too far right here. He's brought me too far. He's brought me too far. I've got a word for somebody. You've come to this church and you're wondering what you're doing here. You feel dead and desperate, but I've got a word for you. Don't you give up on God yet. He's the God of resurrection. He's growing you. He's doing something in you that's never been done before. I've got a word for somebody. You are where you need to be. This is your church. This is your pastor. This is your music department. This is your children's ministry. Don't give up on God. You will find it threaded, this biblical truth tucked into other biblical stories, but I feel like this story sums it up the best for us here today. Consider at Capernaum, or Capernaum, a nameless man whose distinction was having a right hand that was withered. It was common, but not curable. But he went on with his life. 
tilling the soil and tending the flock. Historians say that he was probably a mason, an architect or contractor of some kind, building buildings and caring for his family. It was most definitely inconvenient, but he didn't allow it to control him. Neither did it kill him or dampen his faith. When Jesus arrived in Capernaum and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, this man with the withered hand was there. He was there in the synagogue on that Sabbath. This man with the withered hand was there. By this point in his life, he is unconscious to his condition. It really doesn't seem to even be an issue anymore to him. It's unfortunate but incurable. He has put it behind him for a long time. He probably hid it in the fold of his robe, buried, if you please, out of sight, out of mind. He has resigned himself to it and resolved to move on, but he happens to see Jesus there. And he knew his reputation and is aware of his power and surely had heard of his miraculous healings that he had performed. But, but, it never occurred to him to ask, can you fix this? By this point in his life, he's completely unconscious to it. It seems that he wasn't even mindful of having a need. There was a time where this problem was a prevailing issue in his life and it was dominating his thoughts, depressing his spirit and debilitating him physically and emotionally, driving his days, but he could not find help. It reminds me of the man in John 5 at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. So now... He never noticed, he never even thought to ask, but Jesus, this Jesus had shown up at church. And Jesus sought him out and found him among the many who were there and called him to come to the center of the room. And suddenly the old fire of desire rekindled and felt, he felt maim again. The prospect of being whole seized his soul by the time Jesus thundered to him, stretch forth thine hand. The possibility of failure that seems so far away has suddenly presented itself right in front of him. After all those years of unconsciously favoring it, he thrust that withered hand out and instantly it was made whole. Can I just stop right here and tell somebody there is a power at the right hand. And the right hand emphasizes power. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. The power of God is in Jesus Christ bodily. The right hand represents power. And Jesus wants to return to the church a power at this hour. There is a power that he wants to use to heal. There is a power that he wants to use to deliver and set free. There is a power that he wants to use to restore and make whole stretch forth thine hand Jesus had found the place where he had buried it out of sight and out of mind he looked the man in the face and he didn't just meet him where he was but he said come to the center of the room that's not a menial portion of scripture that's not something to be looked over read it carefully Jesus asked him to do something on his own before Jesus does something that only he can do he doesn't 
doesn't go to where he is and say, okay, I'm here to heal you, stretch forth your hand. No, no, no. He says, if you trust me, if you have faith of what you've heard is real, I'm calling you out in the middle of everybody because what I am about to do for you, no man can do, no medicine can do. There is no cure for this. But if you will humble yourself and come to the center of the room, I'm going to do something on your behalf. I'm going to receive the glory for it, but you're going to reap the benefits of it. I've come here tonight with a fire in my belly. I've come here tonight to preach a word to you. You have got to make your way out of where you are. Stop rolling in the same slime that you've been in forever and start praying a different prayer. Don't just say, Lord, help me where I am, but take a step towards him. See him in a different light. See him more than you've ever seen him. Walk with him more than you've ever walked with him. And when you meet him, he's going to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. He's going to go beyond your prayer and your fasting. He's going to do something for you that you need so desperately. I'm talking to a church here tonight. If you have a need in your life, it's time for you to open up your mouth. It's time for you to get real with God. It's time for you to open up and say, here I am. Heal me, Lord. I've buried it for so long, but heal me. Heal me. Come on, would you lift your voice in this house now? Would you lift your voice in this house now? The Spirit of God is here. Come on, you've had that prayer hidden for a long time. Don't you give up on your lost kids. Don't you give up on those prodigals that God is going to call back. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody right now. Don't you give up on that prayer. What you need to do is you need to take God to where you've buried it and say, Lord, forgive me for what I've done, but I brought you right to where you need to be. And you're going to resurrect something that I've let die. You're going to resurrect something that I've let go to waste. And what God's going to do is supersede your expectation. Come on, it's here. It's here. If you trust God, it's here. It's here. Come on, out of sight, out of mind. It's now in the open. Out of sight, out of mind. It's now in the open. Lord, I'm bringing you right to where I need you. I'm not going to question the timing. I'm not going to question the answer. I'm not going to question the miracle, Lord. But I'm rekindling it. I'm bringing you right into the middle of the situation. I'm stepping into the middle of the room. I'm opening myself up. I'm walking you to the cave where I put a stone in front of it. I'm going to roll it away. And you're going to resurrect what's been dead. And then I'm going to unravel those grave clothes. Because what was dead goes far beyond what is now alive. What you've done for me goes far beyond what anybody else could do for me. Come on, that's it now. Call on the name of the Lord. It just starts with you opening up your mouth. It starts with you opening up your mouth. Saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you.
I feel the need to pray for lost children. Come on, people, children who have known the truth, but they've walked away from it. Come on, God is the resurrector. He can rekindle anything in anyone. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I plead your blood over every child that is not here, every child that has walked away, regardless of their age, regardless what they've done or where they've been. God, I'm praying that you would prick their heart. I'm praying, God, that you would resurrect them, that you would resurrect the love, the passion, and the desire to be in this house, to be a part of this body and this assembly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Every prayer that's been prayed and then forgotten about. Every prayer that's been prayed and it didn't happen in our timing. I rekindle it right now. I pray to the God of resurrection. I bring you right to the need, Lord. Resurrect it. Breathe life into it. Do something that only you can do. Remind me of who you are. You're a good guy.